0: Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. For a subtitle today, I want to... Talk to us about the power of relational privacy. The power of relational privacy. Lord bless you as you're being seated. Social media has changed the world. Taking it a step further, social media has changed relationships. What was meant to connect people? has actually disconnected people. In 2004, Facebook was fun. In 2019, Facebook has caused more damage than it has good. Now the entirety of a person's self-worth is defined by a virtual world which is not a real world. I know it's mostly adults in here, but let me just pause right here and tell you that social media does not reflect reality. Social media reflects what people want you to think. As long as you have a delete button, it's not the real world. There's a whole lot of keyboard warriors out there. Most people, I read, spend between one and four hours on their phones each day, and many far longer than that. Now, I'm not talking about working on your phone. I'm talking about just uh, socializing and and doing whatever you do on, on your phone. Some people are so involved in other people's lives that they can't live their own life. In the New Testament, Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees in a backhanded kind of way because they were so worried about showing everyone else how spiritual they were. They were so worried about the public approval. It was all about their, uh, their, their, what people thought about them. Not much has changed except now they're virtual Pharisees because now people are still trying to get public approval. I call them Facebook Christians. If we had as many real Christians as we have Facebook Christians, we'd have a whole lot of revival and a whole lot less problems. No, they're not trying to get people's approval in public like the Pharisees were in a, in a physical setting, but they are trying to get public approval in a virtual setting. Still the same motive, still the same mindset, They portray to be one thing in public, but they fail to realize that relationships are built in private. There was a day when people sat on their porches and visited. You can remember that. If you had a porch, you sat on it. And your neighbor, I remember as a kid, I had a neighbor to the the right of me, well, If you're looking at the house to the left of me, and then across the street, and they were old. I don't know how old they were. When I was a kid, they looked really old. But they were old Cajun French. And I can remember one day I went over there to help him rake his yard, and he said, now be careful. This rake is from 1937. I thought, if I break this sucker, you ain't replacing this rake. I was just ever so gently raking that yard. But I can remember vividly they would go to each, they, they both had porches, and they'd go to each other's porch and they'd talk in that caged French. Almost every day, they just sat and they talked. That's how relationships are built in private. You develop, you get to know each other. Husbands and wives establish a relationship in private. You don't get to know people in public. You get to know what they want you to know in public. You find out who they are in private. In 2008, adults spent an average of 18 minutes on their phone per day. You know, you could only have so much fun with a flip phone. In 2008, they spent an average of 18 minutes. In 2015, they were spending 2 hours and 48 minutes per day. This shift to mobile devices is dangerous because a device that travels with you is always a better vehicle for addiction. I was at Best Buy not too long ago. We were just looking at things, and I was going through the phones, and something caught my eye. I didn't even know they made anymore. It was an old Nokia phone, about that big, with some buttons on it, and I just I just kept looking at it, like I remember this, and I didn't know they still sell it. You know, when when all you have is a is a little phone like that, a smartphone looks very alluring. But when your world is dominated by a smartphone, that kind of phone looks very alluring. I'm going to piggyback off of last week's week's, uh, title, which was Addicted to Attention, because this goes hand in hand. I was reading a book called Irresistible. I've quoted from that book before, and I highly, highly recommend every parent who can find that book. I I found it for $3 at Office Depot and it was worth the $3 on the first page. Even Steve Jobs, who was the founder of Apple, wouldn't let his kids have an iPad. And you read all of these people who understand technology, and they're in the Fortune 500 companies. They understand how addictive technology can be. In ancient Rome, being addicted meant that you had just been sentenced to slavery. If you owed someone money and you couldn't repay the debt, a judge would sentence you to addiction. You'd be forced to work as a slave until you repaid the debt. Over time, that word has been diluted and has evolved, and I've come to realize that there are many addicts that don't know they are addicts. If people were as addicted to gaining God's approval as they were gaining people's approval, they'd have a healthy and a vibrant relationship with God. Man, this may this may hurt a little bit. Telling people on social media that you love God is not the same as telling God that you love Him. It, I, I liken it to this, okay? And and, and I don't have social media. So I can't be talking about anybody. I didn't see anything. That's why I don't have social media because nobody can accuse me of anything. But I have heard this happen in the past that randomly, and I'm not talking about anniversaries or birthdays, special occasions, but just randomly, people will start bragging upon their spouse. Maybe you've never heard of that or seen that, but it happens. And... When I hear that, the first thought is, why aren't you telling your spouse that? Why are you telling the world that? Because the one that needs to know it is your spouse. So I liken it to this. If if all you do is go around telling everybody else how much you love your spouse, but you never tell your spouse how much you love her or him, then... Your relationship is not being built like it could be built. Because the only person that you need to worry about is your spouse. That's the person that needs to know that you love them. Well, I'm going to skip some of that. Read between the lines. Matthew 6 and 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of me, and I say unto you, they have their reward. One thing that used to irk the daylights out of me when I was an evangelist, I haven't seen it happen here, thank God, but I used to see it as an evangelist. If I'd be praying for the, someone in the altar over here, praying for people, and I'd start working my way one direction, Inevitably, there was always somebody that was waiting to see if I was coming. And they'd be standing there doing a bunch of nothing. And the closer I got, they'd close those eyes. I'd just walk right by them. I'd get so mad at them. Because they were just worried about people. Now, you coming to the altar to put on a show? Or are you coming to the altar to get connected with God. I'd call them holy peepers. They'd sit there and do that. They'd open their eye and watch, and they'd do all that business. So worried. That's Pharisees. Pharisees were so worried about what people thought about them. And, and they put on all the pageantry and, and, and because they wanted to be way up here in, in the eyes of the people. And Jesus said, look, when thou prayest, Enter into thy closet, or to thy chamber, or thy house, or your secret place. And when thou hast shut the door, he said, don't even start until the door is shut. Shut the door and pray to thy Father that's in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Private relationship is a powerful thing. You can do all the theatrics in public and not have any power because God sees the motives of the heart. God's looking deeper. Prayer calls it private. Your relationship with God grows powerful through private devotion. Okay? People don't need to know if you prayed three hours or if you prayed 30 minutes. Because if you have to say it, your motives are wrong. I, I, I As soon as someone, I, oh Lord, as soon as I hear someone spouting off how long they prayed, I just turn them off. Boop. Because you know what the first thing I think is? You prayed that long so you could tell somebody you prayed that long. Tell me I'm wrong. Because if your motives were right and you were only worried about pleasing God, you don't need to tell anybody. Because I promise you, if you've been praying three hours, the world will know you've been praying three hours. Or if you fasted 72 days, if you're still here after 72 days, I'd, be, I'd like to see it. May not be. God is emphasizing in this particular text the motives of the heart. That's what living for God is all about, is motives. Are you doing it to be seen of people? Are you doing it to be seen by God? Because man cannot see in private, but God can. And God will reward your secret devotion. Openly. Ian Bounds once said, the central significance of prayer is not in the things that happen as results, but in the deepening intimacy and unhurried communion with God at His central throne of control in order to discover a sense of God's need, in order to call on God's help to meet that need. What we're battling today is we are battling with patience because everything in this world is about a hurry. Be in a hurry. Be in a hurry. When I go to prayer, most times I have to put my phone on airplane mode. So if you can't get a hold of me, you're worried, that's why. It's because if I don't, about every three sentences, I'll be answering a text or a phone call. And you got to choose who's going to dominate your time. Are you going to give that time to God? When I, when I do my devotion and I read, I set a timer. I spend this amount of time reading a book. I spend this amount of time praying. I spend this amount of time reading the Word of God. That's how my brain has to work. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I that's how I operate best. But if you don't lay out your time, and decide what you're going to do with it, somebody will do it for you. Somebody will decide your day for you, your time for you. People that are powerful in public are first prayerful in private. Don't think for a moment when someone comes to this pulpit or someone comes to to this church and the glory and the power of God falls that that's just an accident. People that operate powerfully in public have a consecration and a devotion to God. So he continues. He says, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. I got to digging around in some commentaries, Barnes and and Clark, Adam Clark, and just trying to gain understanding. I had someone ask me, about this prayer, is this vain repetition? Well, I told him it wasn't, because it's not. But I wanted to make sure I was right. So I went and started, excuse me, digging in the word and, 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 and trying to find exactly what this meant. Use not vain repetition. The original word here is supposed to be derived from the name of a Greek poet who made long and weary verses, declaring by many forms and endless repetitions the same sentiment. So here's what it means, okay? And this is, this is Albert Barnes, but I'm going to break it down, Tyler Stevenson, for everybody here. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Jeremy. It means to repeat a thing often, to say the same thing in different words or to repeat the same words as though God did not hear at first. So, let's break it down. You're prayed and you start going, Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And and, and then you change it up. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. And then you change it up a little bit more. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you can feel 30 minutes doing that and not do anything. You can do it. You can say all of that. I've been in prayer rooms where literally I plugged my ears while I was praying. I, I mean, I did it in a, as nondiscreet as I could, but I put my head down and I closed because I wasn't getting anything other than frustrated because I had somebody next to me that every third word was hallelujah. And they filled up 30 minutes, but all they said was hallelujah. Prayer is about communication. So let's look at it like this: If if I were to go home and and start talking to my wife and I, and I start going, oh Bridget, oh Bridget, 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 oh, and I start crying, Bridget, 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 <laughs> and I did that for thirty minutes. She'd be like, I don't want to talk to you no more. And we laugh in public, in in, in a personal manner, but we do it all the time with God. And God's going, I don't want to talk to you no more because all you do is say, oh, Jesus. You're not doing anything. You're appeasing your conscience so you can put a check by your 30 minutes of prayer, but you didn't do anything productive. Adam Clark said, prayer requires more of the heart than of the tongue. The eloquence of prayer consists in the fervency of desire and the simplicity of faith. He goes on to say, the abundance of fine thoughts studied and vehement motions and the order and politeness of the expressions are things which compose a mere human harangue, not an humble and Christian prayer. Our trust and confidence ought to proceed from that which God is able to do in us and not from that which we can say to Him. I think that at some time or another, if we're all honest, we've all struggled with praying. I have. I'll use myself as an example. Because you just don't know if you're making any headway. You just don't know, am I doing it right? Because you hear other people that they could pray the thunder down and you're just trying to figure, find out where the thunder is. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. And so you beat yourself up. I've heard people all these different analogies. Well, you need to pray the tabernacle plan, which I'm not knocking it. I'm not. I got the book. I bought the DVDs. Still sitting in my office. And. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I mean, you hear all of these acronyms for prayer. And I used to beat myself up because I'd have the acronyms. I'd be all right, I gotta spend this much time. I'm one of those analytical guys. I gotta spend this much time adoring him. All right, let's adore God. So I start adoring him. All right, I got it done. Got my adoration done. Now I gotta confess. And I'd spend my time confessing. And I'd go back, all right, thank. And so it's like there's no intimacy because you're, you're putting a check by it. You know, you can, you can be just as effective with 10 minutes of just quiet intimacy with God versus 30 minutes of putting check marks by everything. Because prayer is not necessarily defined by what you say, but as much as how you connect with God. It's about relationship. I've told you before, I'm the kind of, I'm the kind of guy. It's just me. I want my wife by me all the time. She don't, I'll call her in the room and just say, sit there. I, I, she don't have to say a word. I just hate being by myself. I love, we, we could drive for seven hours and not say a word to each other, and I'm just as happy because I'm in her presence. Relationships. Relationships. Am I making progress with prayer? How do I measure? the effects of my prayer. People want to stop feeling like they're spinning their wheels. So Jesus understood humanity. Therefore, he said, after this manner, therefore pray you. He did not say, say this prayer. He said, after this manner. In other words, I'm going to give you an example. Now, this didn't come from the disciples. This came from Jesus, God himself. So if, if we should follow anybody's example, I think we ought to follow his example. So I'm going to break this down. This is how my mind processes this prayer. These are categories that I think for to have a healthy relationship with God, we ought to pray for these categories. Now, it's not saying you've got to go through this prayer every single day, but a healthy relationship, there'll be time spent praying in these categories. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's praise. If you don't know how to start praying, start praising. Because you'll never go wrong just beginning to worship God. Just begin to exalt his name. Our Father which art in heaven, he acknowledges who he is in your life. He establishes his identity as Lord and Savior. Begin to it, 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 there's been times I went to prayer and I say, Lord, I don't know what to say, so I'm gonna let David talk, and I just open up Psalms, I just start reading Psalms. That's that's just as much a part of praying as anything else. It's meditating upon the Word of the Lord. David said, "O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth." He's he's magnifying God. There's times that you may go to prayer and you may never move beyond praising. And that's okay. You shouldn't beat yourself up. You shouldn't feel like you didn't fit everything in your allotted time. We've we've beat ourselves up too long because we're not praying the right way. And you've got to understand, when you go home and your spouse do you talk about the same thing and go through a checklist every single evening when you get home? Boom, boom, boom. All right, got to ask her how her day is. Boom. How was your day? All right, good. All right, now i got to see what's for supper or if I'm cooking. <laughs> and you don't do that with your spouse. Same thing. You're in a relationship with God. You don't cover the same topics every single day and, and spit out the same verbiage every single day. That relationship ebbs and flows with life. And so it is with the Lord. Your prayers will ebb and flow with your life. So praise. Then he goes on to say in verse number 10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I look at this and I title it placement, the will of God, placement. There's praise and then there's placement. We need to pray for the will of God personally and for the kingdom of God at at large, the will of God. Mark 3.35, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. If you pray for God's will, you have to be willing to accept God's ways. See, when we pray for God's will, a lot of times what we're really saying is, God, I want the good parts of your will in my life. But when you pray for the will of God, you've got to take the whole thing. Because, Paul, it may be that my will will leave you on a piece of a board floating in the, in the ocean. But it's still my will. I wonder how many times we pray for God to do his will in our life, And then he puts the pieces of the puzzle together and puts the wheels in motion. And because we don't like it, we start praying against it. Think about that. Because we are programmed by default to start praying against any negative, against pain, against problems, anything that brings discomfort. It's not the will of God. Really, show me that in the Bible. It's not in there. It's not in there. I had a gentleman tell me one time, I used to preach for him a lot. He said, Tyler, he said, the most important thing you can do in your life is the will of God. He said, nothing is more important than the will of God. He began to tell me a story with tears in his eyes. He said, years ago, I was pastoring a, a church. He told me the town, because we're online, I'm not going to say in too many details. He said, and we were having revival. People were praying through. Things were going great. He said, we hadn't been there maybe a year, year and a half. I don't know how long they were there. He said, it wasn't a very long time. Fell in love with the people. He said, on a Sunday morning, I dismissed the service. He said, I turned around to go to my seat. He said, I walked in the arms of a big old angel standing right there. And the angel told me, he said, the Lord said to resign your church. And he just stood there, started weeping. He said, I'll resign it tonight. Angel said, no, the Lord said resign your church right now. He said, I turned around, called everybody back in, went to the pulpit, said, effective immediately, I'm offered my resignation of this church. His own wife didn't know, his kids His wife took out the church, went to Parsonage, that mobile home next door. He said, everybody's devastated. Everybody's crying. You could imagine the shock that comes over a congregation. He said, but I knew I heard from the Lord. I always told the Lord I would do his will. He said, I walked into the, after everybody left, I walked into my mobile home. My wife's sitting there. She's just so upset. He said, and I knew she was fixing to ask me what in the world I just did. He said, and right when she was fixing to ask me, the phone rang. He said, and I picked it up. He said it was a preacher. I was supposed to go preach a youth rally for him on the Friday, that coming Friday night. Preacher said, hey, can you stay over and preach on Sunday, and I'll send somebody to cover your service for you. He said, well, I, I could stay over for Sunday, He said, but you don't need to. You don't need to send anybody. He said, why is that? He said, well, I just resigned my church. He said, well, we're starting revival on Sunday then. He said, okay. He said, as soon as the phone touched the cradle, it rang again. I picked it up. Another gentleman wants to start revival after that revival. I believe he said nine times as soon as it touched the cradle, It rang, and it was a pastor. And nine revivals lined up, one right after the other. And then they said the next time when it touched the cradle, I picked it up. And a gentleman said, Brother so-and-so, do you have a mobile home for sale? And he said, at first I was going to say no, and then I thought the one I'm standing in is now for sale. He said, I sure do. The guy brought him a check, bought the mobile home. And he said, when he hung it up that last time, his wife said, I'll never question again whether or not you heard from the Lord. I'm talking about doing exactly the will of God. You better pray. I'm not saying you've got to get down and for an hour every day pray for the will of God, but somewhere woven into your prayer time, would, it would be beneficial that you sought the will of God, that you sought the direction of the Lord. Matthew 6 and 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. This is provision. There's praise, placement, provision. God knows everything that you you need. God knows everything that will occur in your life. And he could, because he's God, he could provide it before you ever had to pray for it, but then you wouldn't pray at all. You know what I've always thought was comical is oftentimes we pray as if God doesn't know what's going on. I mean, we lay it out there. Like God's knowledge of our life is equal to our knowledge. Now, Lord, now, now Lord, this happened. Now you see this, God. And, and and then we start just putting it out there, and God's just sitting there going, I've known that thousands and thousands of years. But it's fresh to our life. So we start laying it all out. And and, and we think that we have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and pray for it just right for God to work in our life. That's not true. In fact, there's some people that say, oh, you shouldn't pray for just for all of your needs. Why not? Scripture says that we can. Now, let me tell you where you're wrong. You're wrong as if if all you do is pray for your needs. Then you become obsessed. But Scripture says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. There's other people that say, oh, you should never question God. Never, never, never question God. Really? Well, I was always taught you ask the person who has the answers. Now, that's not to say God will reply every time. But there's nothing wrong with questioning and asking God. Understand your spirit and your motives have to be right. There's been many times I went to prayer and I asked God for an answer. And either I found that answer in this book or he impressed it in my spirit. Not every time. But, you know, have have you ever been to Walmart or somewhere and you thought somebody worked there but they didn't and you went to asking them stuff and they're like, "I, I don't know. I don't work here. Then you kind of felt foolish. You don't ask somebody that doesn't have the answers. You ask somebody that does have the answers. I'm hurrying. I'm trying to bring this thing down. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This deals with your past. So you have praise. You have placement, provision, and your past. Forgiveness is about what happened in the past. You don't forgive stuff that's going to happen in the future because it hadn't happened yet. Forgiveness deals with your past. So you spend time asking God, search my heart. Lord, if there's anything in my heart that I need to I need to deal with, anybody I haven't forgiven, you deal with it. And you don't you don't just do it in 30 seconds. There's times that you may have to let God dig a little while. It may take 10 or 15 minutes sincerely asking God to recall to your memory things that need to be put under the blood. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. This deals with power, and it ends with praise. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What this is simply asking, he's not saying, and lead us not into temptation, God would never lead you into temptation. He's saying, God, give us the power to withstand. Let us keep the power active in our life. That's why the writer said, stir up the gift that's within you. That power, it's not some supernatural current that's going to come upon you when you get enticed or distracted. It's the power that's going to operate in you every day to make Choices, correct choices. Deliverance is this, consistent, correct choices. That's what deliverance is, making the consistent, correct choices. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So he's not saying lead us not into temptation as if God would lead him into temptation. He's saying give us the power, and then he ends it with praise. Everything Jesus provided as an example hinged upon one thing. Everything I just talked about do it in private. Let me tell you when you come to church right here is not the time to try to have a relationship with God. At home is that's the time and the place to have a relationship with God. Couples who have been married for 50 or 60 years, they don't stay married based off of infatuation alone. They stay married because they've spent plenty of time in private strengthening their relationship. They've had some hard talks. They've had some intimate times. But the strength and the power of their relationship was defined by what happened behind closed doors. And they're still here, and they're still together because of a private relationship. Stand with me as we conclude our Sunday school time. There's power in private relations. There's power in walking with God in privacy. Let's lift our hands all over this place. Lord Jesus, we receive the word of God into our spirit today. Not only for this day, not only for this setting, but, God, we want to walk in power through a private relationship. God, we don't want to be as Pharisees seeking the approval and the attention of people. Oh, but, God, we want to walk with you because we know that what we do in private you will reward openly, Jesus. I pray your hands and your blessings upon your people. God, we give you praise and we give you glory. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus.